Um, at this time, we're going to get into the, the passage for today, uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. And we are finishing off our series on Colossians today. You know, um, this is a passage uh, that uh, people may be tempted to kind of skip over, and you may see why in a moment, but I think it's, it's really, really important. So I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to talk about why. This is the end of our series on Colossians. It says this, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. And that concludes the letter of Paul to the church, uh, to the Colossian church. Now, I said that it can be tempting to skip over this passage, and, and undoubtedly many people do if they're preaching through the book of Colossians, because it seems like this kind of like a miscellany at the end of Paul saying, oh, say hi to this person, and this person sends greetings, and, and do this, and this, and that, and kind of like, what, what are we supposed to get out of that, right? It can be very tempting to skip over that and say, hey, let's get to the deep theology, Let's get to the talk of salvation and justification and election and the sovereignty of God. Let's get to those meaty things. But I think that that would be a mistake, and I would not be doing you a service as a pastor and shepherd of this church to kind of say to you, yeah, those parts in the future, you can skip over that. It's tempting, right? Like when you read the genealogies in the Old Testament, you're like, yeah, maybe we can just skip the entire genealogy part, right? Bunch of names. Don't do that. It's there for a reason. 2 Timothy chapter 3, a super important passage, says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, if that's true, that means all scripture, it is from God and it's useful. It is helpful, all of it including the end of Colossians chapter 4, including the genealogies of the Old Testament, including all the Levitical laws, all of those things are, are useful. Now, not everything is as clear and as hard-hitting as like maybe parts of Romans or things like that, but 
it is useful. And I, and I believe that there's something that God wants us to see through Paul's writings here at the end of Colossians. And, and that's this. The main thing that I think God wants us to see is that Christianity, Christianity is a team sport. I think that's the main thing he wants us to see here. He wants us to see that Christianity is not just a superstar thing centered around a person like the Apostle Paul, whom we all know, we've all heard of, but it is actually um, comprised of many different people doing many different things with the gifts that they have, with the heart that they have, in order to make the kingdom of God grow and expand and advance in this world. It's not just about one person. Back in Super Bowl 49, there were 26 seconds left, and the, the, the Seattle Seahawks had the game. They had the game. They, they, were, um, you know, they were about to score a touchdown and put the game away. They were on the one-yard line. They were playing against the New England Patriots. And, and what happened at that moment on the one-yard line? What would you do, right? If I were the Seahawks, I would have given the ball to my stud running back, Marshawn Lynch, right? Beast mode. Plow through one yard. One yard. Quarterbacks can even get one yard, right? Marshawn Lynch can get one yard, get in the end zone, win the game, the Super Bowl, and it's over. What did they do instead? If you're a football fan, you remember this. Instead, they call a passing play. Russell Wilson passes the ball, and it gets intercepted intercepted by Malcolm Butler. He jumps up, catches the ball, and the game is over. The Patriots win. I hate saying that. The Patriots win. I'm a Giants fan. The Patriots win. And everybody was just jaws dropped. If you were a Patriots fan, you were ecstatic. If you were a Seahawks fan, you were despondent. You sat in a dark room for hours by yourself. That's, that's what you did if you were a Seahawks fan. Now, it, afterwards, there's an interview of Marshawn Lynch. And, and pe- you know, the interviewer is saying stuff like, hey, shouldn't you have gotten the ball? Aren't you upset about this? Marshawn Lynch is kind of cool. He was like, no, you know, he seemed like cool about it. And because, you know, why, are you, why aren't you angry? How come they didn't, shouldn't they have given you the ball? And his answer was really simple. He said this. He said, because football is a team sport. Simple as that. <laughs> Nothing else to say. It's so true, right? So simple. So true. Because football is a team sport. It doesn't matter if you got Marshawn Lynch. Now, I think it was a bad play call anyway. But that's besides the point. The point is, Marshawn Lynch is saying, it's not just about me. Football is a team sport. I think the end of Colossians here is so important because God is trying to tell us, in case you think it's all about Paul or it's all about uh, people like Elijah and Isaiah, it's all about Peter. No, it's not. Christianity is a team sport and everybody plays a critical role in it. Like Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, for just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. We're all parts of one body, right? And you can't go without any part of your body. You would notice if any part of your body was missing. It says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Okay, Even if you think that you are no big deal, that you are... The, the appendix of the body, the Adam's apple or body, whatever, you have that type of mentality, it's not true. You are 
indispensable. If you're there and you're saying, well, I don't do much, and I think the church is doing just fine without me. They don't need me. That's not true. That's not true. We are the weaker for it. We are weaker without you. The reality is we have not been able to do everything that we could have done because we have been lacking your gifts, your talents, your experiences, the way that God has made you to serve him in his kingdom. We are lacking because of that. The bottom line is we need you. This is what God is saying, I believe, through the end of Colossians. And this is so important to understand because, you know, ever since Constantine became Christian and then the Roman Empire became Christian and suddenly Christianity was not something that you had to really believe in to be a part of because you were being persecuted, you were being thrown into the Colosseum and being eaten by lions and things like that. Suddenly Christianity was like what the emperor believed. And it became like a status thing and it became beneficial for you to become a Christian. And so all these people started becoming Christians, many of them fake and not true believers, but doing it for political or or other financial gain or other reasons. And, And as this institution grew in that way, the divide between those who did ministry and those who didn't grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know what happened, right? The, the, the priests, the, the clergy, the professional ones were the ones who could read the Bible. It was in Latin, and the common people didn't even have the ability to read the Bible in their own language, and they said they can't understand it. They're going to make a mess of it. No, don't give them the Bible in their own language, right? This kind of thing was happening in history, and even today, even today, we have not fully rid ourselves of the vestiges of the past because How often is it, isn't it so often the case that we think, oh, the pastors, the missionaries, the evangelists like Billy Graham, those are the people who really go out there and do the ministry, but not me. God's just happy if I show up. No, the Bible says that God needs, he wants you to be a part of what he's doing because Christianity is a team sport. In fact, in Ephesians, it says, and he, he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers the people that we think, oh, they're the ones who should be doing the ministry. Well, what did he, why did he gift these people in this way? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The purpose is to equip the church. We need to be equipped, all of us. I'm here to equip you to be a part of that. And, and so that all of us can be a part of serving the Lord in a meaningful way. And, and, and brothers and sisters, we... That's what was happening. That's why the church grew. That's why the kingdom of God was advancing so mightily in the New Testament days, not because of just Paul and how hardcore he was, but because there was a group, because there were people who were playing a part, playing different roles in order to make this happen. And I think that's what the Bible wants to tell us, lest we think it's a one-man show. So we're going to look through some of these people here, and we're going to go through them uh, fairly, fairly quickly, but I want to look at a portrait of these people who were there and ministering together with Paul. First, there's Tychicus. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So who is this guy, Tychicus? Tychicus was a, a servant Par excellence. What did he do? Well, he was a messenger. 
He was the one who delivered this letter for Paul from where Paul was in Rome to Colossae. He was the one who brought the letter. Now you think, ah, what's, what's the big deal? It's like sending an email, right? No, not in those days. Those days, you were traveling hundreds of miles by land and by sea. Anybody ever get seasick, right? You like go out fishing for two hours and you can't handle it. You could be on a ship rocking back and forth for weeks back in those days, traveling through storms. On land, often you were traveling by foot in, the, in, the, in that arid environment for hundreds of miles where there were bandits and robbers and thieves all along the way. It was not a safe thing. This person, Tychicus, was willing to carry the letter for Paul from Rome to Colossae. Not only that, he also was the one who delivered a letter to the Ephesians. If you look at Ephesians 6, it's almost the same exact language. Tychicus was also the one who brought Paul's letter to them as well. Not to mention the fact that in verse 16 of Colossians 4, it seems like he's also the one who brought another letter to Laodicea. So this guy is like a messenger for Paul. And this was no easy thing in that day and age. It was challenging, it was grueling, it was physically demanding and exhausting, not to mention dangerous. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. He just seems like this guy is just willing to run around for Paul for the sake of ministry. Not only did he transport letters, he also transported finances as well. In Acts chapter 20, he was accompanying Paul. Paul, if you, if you remember from that book, at one point the, the, the believers in Jerusalem were going through a famine and were really suffering and were very, very poor. And Paul collected finances from the Gentile churches in order to bring it to Jerusalem to help the, the Christians who were there. And Tychicus was one of the people who were following him, probably one bringing uh, an offering from the churches of Asia, where Tychicus was from, to Jerusalem. So he also transported money for the sake of the gospel and the ministry. And think about that. If it's dangerous to travel back in that day, imagine traveling with like bags of gold or silver or whatever it was you're carrying. I grew up in New York City. When I went to the bank, you know, you go to the bank and sometimes you need to take out a wad of cash. I would feel nervous walking out of the bank in New York until I got to my apartment, right? This guy was traveling for hundreds of miles carrying like jingle, jingle gold and silver and stuff like that with him. He was um, putting himself in harm's way to transport finances. Not only finances, he transported people as well. He was the one who brought Onesimus to Colossae. If you remember from earlier, Onesimus was a, a bondservant who ran away, who went to Rome and got, became a Christian there, and Tychicus was bringing him back to Colossae, back to his master, back to Philemon. So he transported people too. Not only that, he stepped up when other people needed help and needed backup, he stepped up. Look at this. In Titus chapter 3, Paul said, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. So what's happening here is Paul's like, hey, Titus, I want you to come. Come to me. I need your help. Titus might have been like, I can't, Paul. You know how much I have going on over here. You know how busy it is with the churches. If I leave, what's going to happen? Who's going to help take care of everything that's going on over here? And Paul says, don't worry, I'm going to send Tychicus to you. And he's going to back you up. And he's going to help take care of things. So Tychicus stepped up and stepped up to relieve other people, to back other people up when they needed. What's the, what's the kind of pattern that we're seeing here? 
I think Tychicus was the type of person who was a true behind-the-scenes servant. He was willing to do the things. Woo! That was cool. My tightness. He was willing to do the things that other people wouldn't do. He was willing to do the things that were behind the scenes that were not the glorious things, the things that oftentimes weren't seen, but without him doing those things, the kingdom of God would not have been able to advance in the ways that it did. He was a person who had a heart to help. He was willing to help. He was willing to serve, and he made himself available to the Lord, and God used him. Brothers and sisters, you know, you don't need to be an evangelist like Billy Graham. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a missionary to really do something for the kingdom of God. You know, if you just have a humble heart and you're willing to help, God can use you in such a powerful way. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul even says that helping is a spiritual gift. It is, it is a spiritual gift. It is so needed. If you have that gift, if you have a heart to help, you are like the duct tape of the church. You are like the WD-40 of the church. And you know how much we need duct tape and WD-40 the kingdom of God needs people like this to be able to run, and they're working in the backgrounds, and oftentimes we don't see them, they don't get the glory, but they make things happen. They're like the people in our church, on our setup and teardown team. They come in early every Sunday, they set up, nobody sees them. And after service is over, they're out there in the back, putting everything away while we're out there talking and stuff like that. We just come into service, most of us come in, and it's like magic, poof, everything's here. It's just, oh, isn't that lovely? It just happens. No, thank God for people like our setup and teardown team who are there to help week in and week out. People like our production team who are there coming in early every week, making everything happen here as well. And, you know, production team people, they never, they never get praised. They only, they only hear about it when something's wrong, right? Sounds too loud. Sounds too low. Can't see that. What happened there? But they're there serving behind the scenes as well. Brothers and sisters, friends, if you just have a heart to help and a humble spirit, God can use you. Isn't that encouraging? You can play an incredible role in the kingdom of God. You could be a Tychicus who is indispensable in the life of the church. Secondly, here we have Onesimus. Now, if you remember Onesimus, we talked about this earlier, he, and you could read the book of Philemon to learn more about him. Onesimus was a bondservant. He was an indentured servant. He owed money to a person named Philemon. He couldn't pay it. There was some arrangement like that. And he was working as an indentured servant for Philemon to be able to pay this off. Now, Philemon was a member of the Colossian church. So Onesimus ran away from Philemon. He was not a Christian. He ran away from Philemon. He ended up going to Rome. Maybe it's kind of like going to the big city back in the day. He ends up somehow getting connected with Paul's ministry. Probably hears Paul's preaching, becomes a Christian. So he becomes a brother in Christ. And then what does Paul do? Paul sends Onesimus back to the Colossian church to say to Philemon, hey, he's sorry that he, he ran away from you, that he, he, he broke the contract that he had with you. But listen, he has become a brother in Christ. And not only did he become a brother in Christ, but he is a faithful and beloved brother. So he has become a servant. He was very helpful to Paul in Rome, in the ministry, and he asks Philemon to receive him back. Now, now here's a really crazy thing, okay? There's a letter written by Ignatius, one of the early church fathers. 
Ignatius of Antioch. This letter is called the Epistle of Ignatius to the Ephesians. So he wrote this letter to the Ephesian church. It's not Bible, okay? It's not a part of our, our canon, but it is a historical document. And he says this. This is what Ignatius says there. Let me read this. I received, therefore, your whole multitude in the name of God through Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love, and your bishop, bishop, a.k.a. pastor, in the flesh, whom I pray you by Jesus Christ to love and that you would all seek to be like him. And blessed be he who has granted unto you being worthy to obtain such an excellent bishop. Now, there are quite a few theologians who believe that the Onesimus that Ignatius is talking about is the same Onesimus from the letter to the Colossians. Now, that's just... That's just mind-blowing if that's true, that this person who was a bondservant became a brother in Christ. Not only that, became a faithful servant and then actually became the pastor of the church at Colossae. Just absolutely crazy stuff. He became Philemon's pastor. Now, that's so encouraging. Onesimus was a person who did not let his position in life dictate what he would make of his life. He did not let his position in life, bondservant, bottom of the barrel, guess I have no future, everything stinks. He did not let that determine his future. It did not determine, dictate what he made of his life. Brothers and sisters, God is not a respecter of peoples. It's not about your position, your pedigree, your background, your family, how much money you make, the type of job that you have. If we're willing to be available to God and give ourselves to the Lord, whatever position you find yourself in, God can use that to give you an incredible calling within the kingdom of God. And it may not be as a pastor. It doesn't have to be as a pastor. It could be as something else, as we will see in this passage. But God does that. If you feel like your position in life, ah, oh, man, you know, life isn't just going my way. I, I don't have what other people have. All you need to do is come and bring your heart to God and say, Lord, here I am. I'm willing to serve you. And you don't know the amazing things that God can do in your life. Next, Aristarchus. He says, my fellow prisoner. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Why does Paul call Aristarchus his fellow prisoner? I think it's because Aristarchus was somebody who stuck with Paul through thick and thin. In Acts 19, when Paul was at risk of getting ripped apart in Ephesus by the worshipers of uh, Artemis there, who were shouting and dragging Paul and saying, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians, if you remember that from Acts 19, Aristarchus was there as well being dragged along. His life was on the line. He easily could have been killed there. But he was with Paul. He stuck with Paul. Um, in Acts chapter 20, he was with Paul on his last voyage to Judea. In Acts 27, he uh, traveled to Caesarea, from Caesarea to Italy with Paul. He probably accompanied Paul all the way to Rome. And in fact, he, he very, very possibly was sharing captivity with Paul, sharing in Paul's captivity voluntarily. 
maybe passing as Paul's servant or something like that, being under house arrest with Paul, and Paul called him my fellow prisoner. Brothers and sisters, it is so important to have people like that in the church, people who will stick with you when times are hard, people who will stick with you through thick and thin, not only when times are good, but when when times are going rough, when when your marriage is falling apart, they'll stick by you. When your job is just so stressful, they'll come pray for you. When you feel um, like broken by your sin and far from God, they'll come and encourage you. They will stick with you through the good times as well as the bad. They will be fellow prisoners with you. They're the people of Proverbs 17, 17, which says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Brothers and sisters who will stick with with the family of God through adversity, and through difficult times. I am so thankful that I have the, the, the brothers in my life that I do through Axe Ministries International, AMI. I remember when my mentor fell into moral failure. It was a very difficult time in my life and in the life of my church, but I'm thankful for people like, like Pastor Young from Grace Covenant Church who I could talk to, who would pray with me, who would be able to just come and encourage me. I'm so thankful for people like that during difficult times in life who will stick with you and lift you up. You can be that for other people. You can have a great impact on the kingdom of God if you're somebody who'll say, you know what? I'm not going to be a fair-weather friend. I'm not just going to be looking to hang out with you when you're down to hang out and let's go have fun. But when you're having tough times, okay, let me know when that's past, and then we'll hang out again. No, I want to be a true friend born for adversity. And I want to care for you and my brothers and sisters in church, no matter what they're going through. Paul needed somebody like that. Paul was human. (laughs) He needed to be encouraged. And I think Aristarchus gave him great encouragement. Next, it says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, this is a really amazing story. It's through Colossians, this passage here that we come to learn that Mark, a.k.a. John Mark, uh, John was his uh, Hebrew name, and Mark was his Greek, Greek Hellenistic name. Oftentimes people had two names back then. That Mark was actually Barnabas's cousin. You don't realize, we, don't, we would not have known that unless Paul wrote that here in Colossians. Now, why is that important? Because Mark had kind of a had kind of a, a, a difficult, had some difficult times in his life. In Acts 13, Mark was with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. It says, when they arrived at Salamis, or Salamis, if you're a meat lover, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John, John Mark, to assist them. So Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But what happened? Now here, It says in verse 13, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Okay, that sounds kind of innocuous. Maybe he had to go. Maybe he had something to do. Maybe Paul and Barnabas sent him to do something else. But ah, not true. Because when Paul and Barnabas were about to go on their second missionary journey, it says this, And after some days, Paul Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of God, word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them 
to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. What was happening here? Basically, they're about to take their second trip, go visit all these churches where God had done this amazing work, and then Barnabas says, hey, let's take Mark with us. And Paul's like, Mark? Mark? Are you serious? You want to take Mark with us? He deserted us, remember? He ran off. He left us high and dry when we were over there in in Pamphylia, and you want to bring him? No way. He's not dependable. We can't do that. What if he does the same thing to us again? And they disagreed about this so much. They got into an argument, and they split. They actually split. Paul and Barnabas separated ways over this, and Barnabas took Mark with him, and Paul took Silas instead. That was Mark. He He had failed. He had deserted them for whatever reason. But look at what Paul says about him later on in Philemon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Something changed later on. Mark came around, or Paul had a different view of him. Near the end of his life, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Luke alone is with me, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Man, what a change. He is very useful. The guy who deserted them, the guy whom the apostle Paul said, he's out, forget him. He says now, he's very useful to me for the ministry. What happened? I don't know what happened. I think Barnabas really did a lot of great work with Mark in helping him to grow and mature. We, we know that Mark spent time with the Apostle Peter. Peter, in fact, says this. He said, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. So he got real close with Mark, and, and between Barnabas and Peter or, or other things going on in his life, the Lord was working through people, and Mark changed. So in, in, in a sense, if I could say this, I think you could, you could argue that Paul was kind of wrong about Mark, right? Kind of gave up on him, and, you know, I don't want to read too much into it, but either way, it looked like Mark was a failure. And can you imagine if the apostle Paul said, no, <laughs> no to you, you failed before, no second chance, that would be pretty demoralizing, wouldn't it? I'd be pretty demoralized by that. But people didn't give up on him, and he turned things around, and he became very useful, even to Paul. Even Paul recognized that. And you know what? Mark, Mark ended up writing the gospel of Mark. He wrote one of the gospels. And many theologians actually think, you know how Matthew and Luke have a, very sim- a lot of similarities with Mark? They actually think that Matthew and Luke borrowed source material from Mark. They're like, hey, Mark, you did a really good job writing that. I'm just going to borrow some of that and then tweak it a little bit to kind of emphasize something else about Jesus that I want to Mark's gospel was such a critical part of the gospels coming to us. Brothers and sisters, I think what we can learn from a portrait of a person like Mark is that it doesn't matter if you feel like you've failed in the past. It doesn't matter if somebody told you that you were a failure, if somebody looked down upon you. Man, there's always a second chance in Jesus. There's always a second chance in Jesus. And if you will come to the Lord If you feel like you've sinned, that's fine. Grab a brother, grab a sister, confess your sin. Have them pray for you. Pray with them. Man, I feel distant from God. I don't read my Bible. Then start reading the Bible. Join our daily Bible reading. Man, I feel distant from the Lord. Come pray with us. 
do whatever. We invite you. Everybody has a second chance in Jesus. We see such an amazing thing in the life of this person, Mark. Next, we see this person, Jesus, who is called Justice. And the early church be like, yeah, you're not keeping that name. You're going to be Justice from now on. Uh, Not much here, so I'm going to move on. Sorry, Jesus, you could not keep that name. You're now known as Justice. I'm not going to make a mountain out of a molehill here. We're going to move on to Epaphras. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, so a Colossian, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. If you remember Colossians chapter 1, this is Epaphras, whom Paul said was always praying and doing what? Giving thanks, praying that they would know the will of God, praying for them to become mature. Epaphras was this amazing person. Not only that, Epaphras was the one through whom the Colossians became Christians. So Epaphras went to Colossae, preached the gospel, people came to know the Lord, and a church got started there. That was through Epaphras, not Paul. Not Paul. Paul just wrote the letter to the Colossians. Epaphras was the one who led people to Jesus and started a church there. Now, this is amazing. Epaphras, he was an evangelist, and he was a prayer warrior, and the Lord knows that we need people like that. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he was the one who led the Colossians to Jesus. You know, brothers and sisters, you know you can do that? You can do that? You don't need to have gone to seminary. You don't need to be a pastor. You can just go to a place where there aren't people who really know Jesus. You can share the gospel. They can come to know the Lord, and you can start a church. Man, if that happens, come tell me. We want to we come alongside you. We want to help that church to grow. This was... These were quote-unquote normal people, not the superstars, not the big names. Epaphras was the one who started this church. He was the one who shared the gospel, and people came to know the Lord. Not only that, he was a prayer warrior. Paul says he worked hard for you. He's always praying for you. That word worked hard there, those words, are really an understatement. Because in the Greek, the word there actually signifies pain pain. For example, in, the same, in Revelation 21.4, the same word there is translated pain. In the new heavens and the new earth, there'll be no more pain anymore. Epaphras was somebody who agonized. He agonized in prayer over the Colossians. He was praying for them constantly. For what? That they would know the will of God and become mature. That he would not, they would not fall into false teaching and become legalistic and, and fall into the, the Sabbaths and the, 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 the new moons and the, those uh, you know, festival days and things like that. He was constantly praying for them. Brothers and sisters, we need prayer warriors in our church. Every church, we, need, we all need to become prayer warriors. But I know some of you are, are going to be really gifted by God, the people to be people who really lift up the church before the kingdom of God, who really God works through to build up the church, to mature it, to lead people to Christ through you. If that's you, man, join us when we pray on Tuesdays. If you can't come out on Tuesdays, find a a place 
in your house, find a closet where you can go into and you can pray on your knees before God for our church and for the Bay Area. If you, if you are, you know, even if you got little kids, when your baby's sleeping, you can be a prayer warrior in that time just praying, praying like Epaphras did and building up the kingdom of God in a mighty, mighty way. That was Epaphras. Next, we have Luke, the beloved physician. He greets you. Man, Luke is amazing. Luke is amazing. He was a physician. He probably made good money back in those days compared to a fisherman or a farmer. He was pretty comfortable, respected, but Luke did not settle for just being comfortable. He did not settle for just kicking it and working a couple days a week and then hitting the golf course all the other days a week and just kind of showing up at the church and, and singing and worshiping God with a few songs. No, Luke, he followed Paul on his missionary journey. He used his skills as a physician to care for Paul. And Paul had his medical issues and, and Luke was there caring for him. And not only that, through this, through him, not focusing on money, not focusing on comfort alone, but making himself available to the kingdom of God, he wrote Acts and Luke. He wrote like a third of the New Testament. Could you imagine what it would be like to not have the book of Acts? I know Luke too, but you know, I know you think Matthew, Mark, but Acts, nobody else wrote Acts, right? And we wouldn't know the early history of the church. It was through Luke that God did this. A person who was a professional, who was successful, but was not focused only on money and comfort, but used his life to be available for God in the work of missionary church planting. And God worked through him. Next, we're almost at the end here, Demas, as does Demas. Now, Demas is um, kind of a sad story here. Why do I say that? Uh, because Demas was a fellow worker with Paul. In Philemon, he calls him a fellow worker. But near the end of his life, Paul in 2 Timothy said this, he said to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Isn't that sad? Paul says that Demas, at the end, Demas was going strong. He was mentioned by Paul here to the Colossian church. He was a fellow worker. But he eventually, he just loved the world too much. He loved whatever it was, comfort. Money, sin, whatever. He, he, he just maybe didn't want to suffer. He didn't want to put Jesus first. Whatever it was, eventually he loved the world and he deserted Paul. He very possibly deserted the Lord altogether. I think this is um, hard to hear here, but I, I think it is so important for us to understand because, hey, you could be... <laughs> You could be written about in the Bible in a good way. That's pretty good. If you get in the Bible, that'd be a bucket list thing, right? Get in the Bible, everybody reads about you, listed by Paul as a fellow worker, that's really great. But you cannot sit on your laurels and just assume that you can just coast. Demas also, he gave up, he loved the world, whatever it was, he was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I want the comforts. I want the things of this world. I just want to enjoy life. And he walked away from Paul and probably from God. It's a warning to us that just because 
we serve the Lord now, it doesn't mean we always will. And we need to continue running the race. It's not all, all, all just, you know, perfect people here helping Paul, but it was a struggle and the race is real. Second to last here, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha was somebody who used her home to open up her home for the church, to be able to host the community, the fellowship of Christians. You know, back in those days, Christianity was, was persecuted in so many different ways. And Jews were kicked out of the synagogues for becoming believers. And, and Gentiles were, Gentile Christians were persecuted because Rome wanted them to worship Caesar. And if they didn't, it could lead to their execution and their death. Oftentimes, they had to meet clandestinely inside people's homes. Homes were so important. And Nympha opened up her house for the church to be able to meet there as well. And God used that. Brothers and sisters, you know, if you are just, if you simply are willing to open up your home to the work of God, to ministry, that is such an amazing thing that can advance the kingdom of God. God can use your home as an environment through which to expand the kingdom of God, to build up the church, and to encourage people. Hosting is such a critical part of the kingdom of God. I, you know, and I'm just so thankful for people in our church who host. And, and they could be so encouraging, like, like Sandy and Bo. I think about them over there. I, they, they're so good at hosting. I'm so blessed. I know many of you are blessed. When you go over their home, I just always love it. I'm not saying invite me over more. That's not what I'm trying to say here. I love it. It's just so warm and the, 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 the care and the, the, the food and like different things. Again, don't, don't, you don't need to cook. I'm <laughs> like putting it on the spot. People are going to be knocking on their door. Where's the food? I'm just saying I've been so blessed so many times through their hospitality. And I know many people in our church have been. Um, I'm so blessed by Dave and Grace Hong, our worship leaders. They're, they're traveling. They're not here. But when I go to their home, I feel so welcomed and loved. And they roll out the red carpet all the time. I'm so blessed by that. Many of you in our church have hosted community groups or events in your homes. And you've opened it up to let God work there. God uses that. The church, the early church met in homes. And it was a critical part of the kingdom of God working. And Paul mentions it in here. And I believe God mentioned it too because it was important. Lastly, let me conclude here. I'll invite the worship team up at this time with Archippus. Paul says here, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. We don't know much about Archippus. I don't know anything about Archippus. But I think what Paul says here to him is, um, I think, something that we can take and apply to ourselves as well. He says to him, that ministry that you have, fulfill it, what God has given to you. We don't know what it was, but he says, be faithful, fulfill it. And I think that that is a wonderful way to end the book of Colossians. And I think... Just as this letter of Colossians to the Colossians was read to the church in Laodicea and the letter to the Laodiceans was read to the church in Colossae and the letter to the Colossians is read to us as well as Christians. I think these words apply to us. Brothers and sisters, fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. It, it, it doesn't have to be a super, quote unquote, superstar ministry. 
You don't need to be a pastor or a missionary and evangelist. If, if that's what you become, great, more power to you. But every single one of you, God uses. God wants to use. You're indispensable to the kingdom of God. Christianity is a team sport. And, and, and it takes the Tychicuses and the Archippuses, the Nymphas, these people. It takes all these people, the Epaphrases, the Lukes and the Marks, the people that we've never heard of at times, and so many people that are not written about, but were indispensable to the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, I believe the end of this passage is a call to all of you. God has gifted you. He has given you talents. He has given you minas. And he is he's saying to you, you are made to be a unique and special part of the body of Christ. And if you just, even if you're like, God, I don't know. What can I do? If you've, if you've got the heart to help and be humble, God can use you. Man, if you came up to me, I invite you. If you came up to me and said, you listen, I don't know what to do, but I want to help. I, that is so refreshing. I'll tell you, every pastor, if they hear that, they'd be refreshed to hear that. And we need help. If you're willing to be like a Tychicus and serve even behind the scenes, God will use you. God will use you. And I, so I want to encourage you and call you, brothers and sisters. Can we stand together this morning? I want to, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. Christianity is a team sport. I want to challenge you this morning. Let's get in the game together. Let's get in the game this morning. God is inviting you to be a part of it. Would you, would you come before the Lord this morning? And, and I just want to invite you to pray. And a prayer, a simple prayer that I want to lead us in as we start is this. To say, God, I want to be available to you. I want to be available to you, Lord. Um, I, I, I just want to make myself available to the kingdom of God in whatever way, in whichever way you would have. Lord, I am willing to serve. I'm willing to help. Lord, I want to discover my gifts. I want to be used by you according. Lord, if I'm a physician like Luke, I want that to be able to be used by you. But even if you don't know what you could be used for, I just want to help. Man, God loves that prayer. God loves that prayer. Can we just come before the Lord this morning and just pray and, and, and just bring our heart to God and say, Lord, Lord, would you use me? Would you use me? Would you come and help me? I want to be available to you. And, and God, I believe he'll do something in your heart and, and, and he'll get you in the game of really building the kingdom of God. Let's just do that together right now. Can we just pray that? Pray for your heart. Say, Lord, Lord, I want to be used by you, God. I want to be used by you, Lord God. Help me, God. Get me in the game. Get me in the game. Put me in, coach. Put me in, Lord. I want to serve. I want to serve, God. It's not about the superstars. It's about every part of the body of Christ. Let's pray together for that.